Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to this week's Man of the Post Extra Time. I'm your host, Chris. Uh, with me this week, I have got you before Ross. How are you? Hello, good, thank you. Grand. Uh, I'm back for his third stint on this podcast, which I guess makes him the um, the sort of with the Middlesbrough to his Juninho. Uh, we've got Mark Godfrey. <laughs> Hello, nice to be back. Nice to see your smiling faces once again, um, although looking a bit older and a bit shabbier. Yeah, very much so. I think you, Ross, is on about, I think. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) Uh, Right, so we are talking a couple of days for the Champions League final. So we're going to do a little preview of that. And we're here um, sort of three or four days after um, Liverpool uh, courageously lost the league. Uh, So we're going to do a little review of the Premier League season. But first of all, we'll do the Champions League. So that starts, um, that'll be the final on Saturday between Liverpool and Real Madrid. my own personal feelings is it's going to be like the Rumble in the Jungle, Ali versus Foreman. We'll be pounding them for eight rounds till they come up with a Karim Benzema right hook in the ninth and uh, knock us to the floor. Mark, how do you reckon it's going to go? Have I sort of seen it correctly? I think you might be. Um, and of late, certainly the last five or six weeks, you've seen a lot of teams try to do that to Liverpool. Um, most of those teams, if not all those teams, are not of the same quality as Real Madrid. With a, with a manager as wily and as knowledgeable uh, and as uh, adept, uh, adept sorry, at, at doing that kind of thing to supposedly superior teams. Uh, you only have to look back at Ancelotti's Everton and what they did to Liverpool last season in the league at Anfield. Um, and he's done a similar sort of thing against Chelsea. Um, obviously found a way past Manchester City when nobody would have thought that. And I think a lot of Liverpool fans, uh, not you, Chris, because I know you're, you're the ultimate pessimist, but I think a lot of Liverpool fans uh, have almost taken for granted that they're going to win a treble uh, and obviously the seventh European Cup for them. But it wouldn't be a shock to me if Ancelotti and Real Madrid and the likes of Modric and Kroos and Benzema have got a few surprises up their sleeve for Liverpool. And I don't know about you, but I don't think Liverpool have played that well for about a month or so. Uh, they're looking, for them, jaded. I, I know that's still a cut above everybody else. But, um, yeah, I'm clinging on to that hope that uh, that there's something. Real, Real Madrid have got something. And, and again, they've been on cruise control a little bit for a while now, haven't they? They haven't been like pedal to the metal in the same way that Liverpool have uh, in their vain pursuit of Manchester City. So, yeah, I think it's intriguing. Uh, Liverpool are the favourites, obviously, but I don't think it's going to be as straightforward as that. No, you're right. We haven't been at our game for a few weeks. Um, Mo scored a couple of goals on Sunday, but I, he's not been as prolific as he could be. 
Um, we've had Van Dijk out injured. Thiago is touch and go, but it looks okay. Fabinho's been out for a few weeks as well. So we might have two midfielders that aren't 100% fit. Um, Ross, will uh, Carlo Ancelotti be uh, employing tactics like he used at Everton? Will he be sending Thibaut Courtois out to murder Virgil van Dijk? <laughs> Callously and maliciously. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for the um, Sergio Ramos appearance to pretty finish off Salah <laughs> what he started a few years ago. That just well, he's in Paris. <laughs> he's going to exactly. run on the pitch. <laughs> he could be there, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I think what everything Mark said was pretty much spot on. It, it, it's going to be a really good game, but Liverpool are the bookies' favourites. So... I mean, Madrid have been, like Mark said, they've been on cruise control for so long. They've had La Liga wrapped up so long ago. 13 points they won it by. Like The Champions League is all they've had really to play for for a while. And you can see, like they did against City, they can just turn it on at a drop of a hat and just rip a team apart. Like you're going to have to be at your best, I think, to win this. How do you keep Benzema and also, uh, I mean, Vinicius quiet as well? What can you do to, to them to nullify them? Pad James Milner. Really? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to play. <laughs> I think, yeah, he could well do. I mean, of, all, of all the people in that 2002 Leeds team to have won a Champions League medal, would your first choice have been James Milner? James Milner? No, I had high hopes that Mark Viduka would have done something with his career when he left Leeds, but no. <laughs> he went to Leeds Russell. He's just a Jamie Oliver lookalike now. Isn't he? <laughs> um, yeah, Mark, I mean... Uh, they are uh, greater than the sum of their parts, aren't they, Real Madrid? I mean, man for man, you would say Liverpool are better individually, but Real Madrid just just know how to do it. Um, and I guess if you stop Benzema, then you've got to stop Vinicius, or you've got to stop Rodrigo, uh, and then you've got to stop sort of Cruz and Modric pulling those little strings in midfield. Um, it is going to be incredibly hard for Liverpool, isn't it? Despite the fact that they're probably favourites. Yeah, and it's interesting what you said there about um, Liverpool having man for man a better team and Real Madrid being uh, being this better than the, some of the, the some of their parts being better than the individuals. You know, you wouldn't have said that even maybe three or four years ago when you considered the Galacticos the whole thing. And yes, Liverpool are a great team um, with great individuals and what have you. But um, I think Milan, uh, Milan, Real Madrid certainly do embody that this season above all else. And the game for me will be won and lost in the midfield. I know that's easy to say. You can say that about most games, but if Liverpool haven't got Fabinho, if so isn't a hundred percent, I don't know who else goes in there to play, but um, if, if Liverpool allow or cannot stop Modric in particular, then I think they could be in trouble because as good as Liverpool's fullbacks are, if anybody's going to pick a pass that gets behind Alexander-Arnold, and I know you get the, a lot of people saying he can't defend. It's not that he can't defend. In Liverpool's system, he has to play far up the pitch um, so you can get behind him. And I think you can't ask for two better passes of the football in world football uh, who you can rely upon to pick those holes than Modric and Tony Kroos behind Robertson and really expose Matip or Canate, whichever one plays. And Van Dijk, who, I don't know, is he, is he fit? Because he didn't, he didn't play against Wolves, did he? Uh, no, but I think, he's, I think he's more or less fit. But I think you're right. I think the pace of Vinicius in behind Robertson or um, Alexander-Arnold 
that's going to force them one of those two back a little bit, I think. And then obviously you sort of nullify the attack from one of Liverpool's flanks then as well. And if you think... line up in midfield, if you've got injuries, and what does Henderson um... start? Yeah, Henderson starts. Uh, I mean, for first choice midfield, I, I would start Pendo, Thiago, and Fabinho. What you would probably have is Henderson, maybe Milner, and then uh, Naby Keita because Naby's doing okay. Um, last weekend we had. Milner, Harvey Elliott, and Curtis Jones um, yeah. in the midfield. I don't. I, I think Jones is more ready than um, uh, than Elliott, but for a Champions League final, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> yes, you don't want either of those two, really. <laughs> no, it's a bit of a leap, isn't it? <laughs> I suspect that Real Madrid will not be unhappy at the prospect of extra time. I no. think. Um, they, they're not the same team as they were a few years ago, where, where a similar vein as Liverpool, really, whereby it would be attack, 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 and get the game won 5 3 or whatever. It would not surprise me to say, see Real Madrid quite happy with it being 0 0 or 1 1 at full time and then spring out and try and catch Liverpool. Liverpool need to get a couple of goals early, don't they? I, I, one thing I, I do feel with this Liverpool team watching them is they. Uh, they can be quite wasteful in front of goals, which is weird when you talk about how free-flowing Diaz and Salah are with their goals. But there's times when you see them miss sort of fairly easy chances and they're not as clinical as they think they can be. And I think that could cost them as well. Um, if they don't get a couple of goals up early on, making the most of their early chances, um, they could rue that, like, like you said, later on when it comes to sort of extra time. It's going to be end-to-end. There's going to be goals. It's going to be a good final to watch for the neutral. Not if you've got a... <laughs> well, I'm going to watch it with an Emerson race. fan, so I mean, I'll... <laughs> so he's not a neutral either, then. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> and he's probably the most. Um, I think he'd rather Everton lost than Liverpool won, wouldn't he? I think he would. Yeah, he, he wanted. He'd be happy if Everton got relegated, but Liverpool didn't win the title. So I mean, he's, he got half of it this week. Anyway. Three weeks ago, were you the same, Mark, as an Everton fan? No, no. I think once Liverpool have won won their first. Uh, Champions League and first Premier League of recent times. That was it for me. Uh, after that, I couldn't have cared less if they won the quadruple this year and as long as Everton up. But I think what really made it even sweeter for me is the fact that when they did win the Premier League, they won it so early on that nobody gave a toss anymore <laughs> that they had won and that they couldn't celebrate it with their fans Very at the season, time. Yeah. To me, it was like, to me, that was like, yeah, that's taken the edge off that, which 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 makes it great. And it's not that whole asterisk business, but yeah, I think everybody is. If they'd won it the year before, remember what a bit like this year when the Man, Man them and Man City were like going ding dong yeah. for it, and they were sort of trading the league lead every week. The ninety nine hundred point season was that exactly was that one? Yeah. Had they won it that year? Yeah, had they won it that that year or the the Stephen Gerrard slip year? I think that would that would have been like like a knife to the stomach. But the year they won it, they won it by Christmas. So nobody, I couldn't care less anymore after that. <laughs> and remember, I'm old enough to have seen Liverpool win the league plenty of times when I was a kid. So you know, it's hardly a foreign experience for me to to have um, exper- to, to have gone through all of that. Well, given your accent uh, and given your Everton leanings, have you got members of your family that are sort of Liverpool fans? No. Have you not? not? <laughs> no. Not one, not a single one. Really, you're all Evertonian. Single one. Yes, but uh, me to a certain extent, but not very much. But certainly, my dad and my uncle, when they were kids, so you're talking the fifties and the sixties, 
they would go to well the, because they were from Birkenhead. You go, they go to Tramia. They played on the Friday night, which they often used to. Uh, they go to Everton on the Saturday because they were Everton fans. But because you didn't have away games or you didn't travel to away games back then so much, um, they would go to Anfield many a Saturday just because it was close and it was a game of football. Now they both come to dislike Liverpool over time. Back then they would have, you know, supported Liverpool when they went to see them, but they were Everton fans. Um, but as time's gone on, that's changed. And like I say, I, I remember going to Anfield on certain Saturdays, standing on the cop or whatever, not particularly wanting Liverpool to win, but also not that fussed that they were that they were. So I wonder about Espanol fans in Barcelona and Notts County fans in Nottingham, Everton fans in uh-huh. Liverpool. Do you ever feel like you sort of ended up by quirks of fate on the wrong side or you're happy with years of muddling along knowing that you'll never be a Liverpool fan? Um, we're not happy at years of muddling along, but we're also happy not to be Liverpool fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Okay, right. Well, that's the... Um, anyone got anything else to say in the Champions League? Uh, no. No. Oh, prediction for you guys. You both think Liverpool will win, do you? Uh, I'm going to say it's going to go to penalties. And after that, don't know. I've yeah. Gone for, I've gone for 3-2 Madrid. I've got money okay. on that. So, yeah. I want high score in action. He won Madrid, I'm going for. Maybe after extra time, like Mark said. <laughs> if I can resign myself to sort of the depression of it all now, I can sort of, you know... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch slightly happier. Uh, right, okay, so speaking of depressing things, the Premier League. So um, we're going to talk, we, we normally do a sort of three minutes on each team. Um, we do struggle with that, though, when it comes to sort of the mid-tables or Brentfords and stuff like that. So what we'll do, we'll sort of talk about the top two uh, and then we'll sort of work away in sort of groups of teams down from there, depending on the on the narrative. So Manchester City won uh, the Premier League, 93 points. Liverpool, 92 points. I was quite resigned. Uh, I was quite relaxed all day Sunday thinking that we weren't going to have a shot of winning the league. Then when Wolves scored, I thought, well, that's bloody typical. And then when Man City scored, I thought, well, this is even worse because not only are we going to lose, but they're going to lose as well. And, you know, that would be that would be the worst <laughs> case scenario. So in the end, them winning and us winning, you know, that's kind of manana. It's disappointing and it's sad, but it was what I was expecting all week. Um, yeah. So nothing really sort of, was that you know nothing really um was was a big surprise to me um man city being a whole point ahead uh this season have they played like they're a whole point ahead or have they played better than that do you think with the with the style they play what um i don't think they've been consistent well i don't think they've sustained the level that we know they can over let's say 32 of the 38 games i think they've played sporadically brilliantly I think they've managed in a certain amount of games um, to, to to play better than the opposition for a 20-minute spell. Um, I think they've done what is expected of them, which is the 92-93 the, the point bracket these days. That's par for the course. But I don't think it's vintage Manchester City. I think other years, the last two or three years, there'll have been seasons when they've been better than what they have now. Reason for that? Don't know. Uh, could it be the lack of a scintillating striker, perhaps? Too much rotation up front? Don't know. Um, De Bruyne only really started... I know he was injured, wasn't he, in the first part of the season. He gradually got into the season and, and probably dragged them over the line in the last 
five or six weeks. But um, I think they did what they had to, uh, or did what you expected, but nothing more. Okay. Um, Ross, what do you reckon to this Manchester City team? They they wowed you this season, or this is just what Man City do? And you know, hey ho, they it, won the league like they should be. Yeah, it is. It's exactly par for the course, I think, for this team. But like the, the, the thought that they're going to get Haaland and what they could do with him, they've done this without a striker, really. Like Kebe Jesus, I know he's been around and played a fair amount of games this season, but he's not been the goal scorer I think they hoped he would be. You throw Haaland into that, if he can take the ground running in the Premier League, they're going to be an absolute force to be reckoned with. And they're doing, like Mark said, they've not had to really get out of second gear for a lot of this season. They've, they've battered teams with ease at times. They've put 11 past leads this season, which is, I mean, that's quite good for one team to do. But like, just the amount of times they score four or five without seemingly playing that well, it's terrifying without a striker. Do you think that maybe next season with Harlan, they've got to learn a completely different way of playing? And will that hamstring them a little bit? Well, he likes to play on the shoulder. He's very much a, a, a bully in that last defender and turn and go. So I don't think he'll have to play massively differently. Maybe they'll have to adjust slightly, but I think I think a player of that, of that ability could fit into sort of any sort of system anyway. I've got to be honest, I am quite looking forward to seeing him in the Premier League next season. He seems quite a stamp when he scores, um, and he's obviously a, a, an excellent player. So I am yeah. quite looking forward to seeing it. The ultimate <laughs> Alfie Harland revenge. Is, uh... <laughs> How long is that? That's about 20 years in the making, isn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, they've only come away with the... Well, I say only. Okay, they've come away with the Premier League title this year. From the second minute of the first leg of that semi-final to the 90th of the second against Real Madrid, <laughs> they were ahead. Um, yeah. They were as good as in this final one. So, I mean, are they going to look back on this season as a chance missed, you think? Or are they think, oh, well, we won the Premier League, we're, we're happy? No, I think they'll look at that as a chance missed. I mean, I, I, I didn't see the second leg because I was at Alan Partridge, uh, uh, the live show. So I, I we picked my phone out of my pocket. It buzzed a couple of times and... You know, within what was it, five minutes, they'd gone from being four three up to five four down or whatever it was, or six four down, six five down. Um, yeah, I think they'll say that it hasn't hurt them, um, it hasn't wounded them, but it obviously it has to have because this is the one thing that they should have won by now. Similar to PSG, you know, they're they're they're, they're almost guaranteed domestic success to to a great extent, um, winning multiple trophies every year. The fact they've only won the league as well. They haven't won the League Cup, which is they've kind of got used to. Haven't won the FA Cup. And now they've failed in the Champions to win the Champions League again. Um yeah. Whether that'll spur them on to only concentrate on the Champions League next year, I doubt it, because that's not how Manchester City are built. But yeah, I think to only win the league to what they've done now the last, particularly the last four or five years, failure. Um, that might be a strong word. It sounds ridiculous, but you know it's it's below par. You know we talked about um, um, whatever we were talking about before about being par for the course to Liverpool, was it? But um, yeah, Manchester City only winning the league is it's, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? They should be I've, winning more than that. I have listened to a podcast this week where someone said that is a terrible misuse of a phrase "below par" because if you say someone's below par performance, that's actually doing really well. <laughs> it's very yeah, yeah. overpar yeah overpar yeah, an overpar <laughs> a bogey performance um, okay so um, what about Liverpool then I mean 
are they destined as City keep acquiring all these magnificent players and um, dominating this Premier League? Are they destined to be like this sort of Premier League Jimmy White where they sort of progressively coming up against Manchester City's Stephen Hendry and Steve Davis and never going to win? Or is there hope for them to well, win the Premier well, League? Well, I think my... My favourite insult or backhanded compliment slash insult of this Liverpool team is is to call them a great cup team. (laughs) (laughs) I saw Liverpool fans in the crowd crying on Sunday and I just wanted to shout at the TV, get some fucking perspective. Like, my team had almost been relegated. Mark's team was on the verge of relegation and even, I mean, crying then at football is still beyond me, but like, you've won two trophies, you're in the Champions League semi-final, uh, Champions League final and you come second in the league by a point. I mean, that's not worth crying about. But if Liverpool come lose on Saturday and <clears throat> they've obviously won two trophies, but they're, they're seen as the lesser two, Carabao Cup and FA Cup. Yeah. They come second in the league, they've not won the Champions League are they not going to look back on that with a bit of sort of tinge of regret that they didn't do maybe as well as they could given the position they were in? The players and the manager might, but as fans, like, it's just, I don't know, it comes across as entitlement because the amount of clubs that would kill to win a trophy, yeah. we haven't made it out of FA Cup third round in about 20 years. Like, to get to an FA Cup final would be like a, a dream come true. But to win a trophy, Jesus Christ, it doesn't happen. Mm. But that's perspective of- and what you said then, you mentioned about the person crying in the crowd. It's yeah. a kid crying in the crowd. And I watched the game with uh, with an Everton fan and, a, and his son, who's a Newcastle fan. Yeah. And um, I must admit, we all let out a, a cheer. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the bastards that we are. But um, it is about that kid's, that kid's only ever known Liverpool winning everything or winning several pieces of trophy, uh, pieces of silverware every season. You know, Reds who have been going through the 80s and in the 90s, They've seen, I say, ups and downs. I say downs with, um, you know, the <laughs> with tongue, tongue, tongue in cheek. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's where Liverpool are now. Liverpool are, are at a similar level to Juventus, Bayern Munich, PSG, Real Madrid, because of what they've done in the last four or five years. So, yeah, to get the FA Cup and the League Cup, it's... Um, what would you say? Not a Pyrrhic victory because they've actually got something to show for it, but it's not one of the two major ones and that'll sting. Yeah. Klopp and um, Pep annoyed me and all. They were far too nice to each other. Like yeah. I miss Fergie yeah. and Wenger like, getting to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about Pep? Pep says that the whole country wanted Liverpool to win. Did your Everton supporting <laughs> friend and his Newcastle boy not sort of realise that? I think Guardiola's got the, the whole of the country mixed up with the whole of the media because <laughs> you only have to, you only have to, you only have to go on Twitter or read any opinion piece by any well-known journalist to know that even if they're not Liverpool supporters, they've got huge soft spots for Liverpool through mostly because they've, they, they've grown up knowing that Liverpool, what they were in the seventies and eighties and whatnot. But yeah, if Guardiola was there, even, even stuck his toe in the water of Twitter and Facebook he would know that that's simply not true. Yeah. I saw a tweet on uh, Monday, I think, and it was someone, I think they I think they're from the Anfield rap. Um, they tweeted about the fact that um, 
the reason we're hated so much is because we're such an oh, authentic yeah, team and oh, fuck blah, 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 and all this sort of thing. And I quote tweeted back saying, I think it's actually because of tweets like this we're hated so much. <laughs> <laughs> and it got, about, it got about 400 likes and about 200 retweets. So yeah. I, I think maybe, maybe I tapped into something there. Um, let's move on to Chelsea then, because Chelsea finished third. They finished uh, 18 points behind Liverpool and three ahead of Spurs in fourth place. Um, given what happened to them from sort of February onwards, is that not a bad thing for Chelsea, uh, considering the shenanigans they've had to go through with the ownership? Would you it's a really of... good finish. Really good that, for a team yeah. that's kind of... It, it, it seems like it's reached its peak, this Liverpool team. Uh, not Liverpool, Chelsea team, sorry. It's like a lot of players there, like um, Asper Equator and Alonso and Rudiger and Silva. It feels like it's a natural point now where they're going to they have to rebuild and to finish yeah. third and still do that without really a goal scorer as well, to be honest. Lukaku's been a disappointment. Timo Werner can't score for Toffee. Like, they've done really, really well, I think, am- amongst yeah. all the stuff that's been gone off the field as well. And Christensen's leaving at the end of the season as well, yeah. isn't he? So, and it's been defence with... again after a place. Yeah, pretty much. And it's just sort of Reese James at the moment, waving a big white flag. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and they've been linked with Jules Kunde, which I suppose is a, is a good thing. But uh, Barry Glendenny was saying on Football Weekly this week or today that the new Chelsea owners, they're not like sort of free spending Abramovich in 2004. They're going to want to see a bit of success for their money. So, um, they, they're going to want to sort of, they're happy to splash the cash, but they're going to want to see something in return. Maybe two could be a bit under a bit more pressure next season than what he has been. But um, what do you make of Chelsea this season? Do you, do you think they sort of, Scraped, not scraped, but they got into third place, so they'd be happy with um, with what they've done. Uh, yeah, they flattered to deceive at times, didn't they? Um, uh, yes, they they won the Champions League last year, and you would you would have expected, having bought Lukaku as well, that they would have made a better fist of challenging. But it never really got off the ground, I don't think. Um, yes, they had some good results from time to time, but yeah, as the season went on, they had difficulties. Couldn't get Lukaku, Werner scoring. Pulisic didn't really chip in uh, either. And then, of course, it all sort of went off the rails from February onwards. Um, and then, you know, they're already losing, what is it, two or three players. So, you know, that demotivates uh, not just them, but the, the people around them when they know oh, this isn't good. We're not going to be here next season. So, what do we care? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't agree with, uh, yes, that with this new guy, the American owner. If they're anything like the um, Liverpool owners, they're going to make. They're going to want to make profit. But I wouldn't say that whoever's playing or managing Chelsea is going to be en- under any more pressure to be successful because you know you've seen Chelsea managers get the push after having won stuff. Yeah. So I think the pressure element to it will always be there with Chelsea. I just think the 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 way the clubs run will be different. It's not just a, a plaything for a Russian oligarch now. They'll want to do what Liverpool have done and turn a profit as much as be successful. So that's how the Chelsea dynamic's going to change. But yeah, um, this season's kind of, they've kind of ended up going sort of almost unnoticed because they weren't playing for anything. Yeah. They sort of nose it on through. Do we think the um, Lukaku interview back in the autumn, did that have any effect, you think, on um, results on the pitch? Uh, well, he, he did it at Everton. Virtually every season was there, and gra- over time, those interviews seem to have more and more of a, an effect. Um, 
on the the general atmosphere or the morale around him, but but the team as well. So yeah, there's potential that you know him coming out and saying the sort of things he was saying. Who does that doesn't help anyone except his agent in the summer when he's looking to go back to Inter Milan or go to PSG or wherever it is. He hasn't been and failed yet. Yeah, Ross, what do you reckon? Yes, but oh yeah, exactly what Mark said. He's, he doesn't help himself, I don't think, a lot of the time. Okay, uh, right, well, Spurs and Arsenal. So uh, Spurs fourth, Arsenal fifth. Uh, Spurs scraped into that uh, Champions League position at the expense of Arsenal. Um, given the fact that they started, I mean, they did start well beating Man City, uh, Spurs did. Then they sort of bumbled along with um, Nuno for a bit and got rid of him. Conte came in. He seems to have been a bit sort of, schizophrenic in his management in the fact that one week it's either oh yeah we're storming to the top four next week it's like you know we're going to be struggling to get mid-table here back me replace I, me yeah i don't <laughs> know i'd hate to, it, it would be such a nightmare to be managed by him i think i yeah. it it would be it, it would be emotionally so draining just every day <laughs> just to have to face someone like him um which one did do we given the sort of state of the two seasons do you think um the, the two sort of finished the right way around. Are you surprised that it's finished this way with Tottenham getting Champions League and Arsenal not, or is it like a cigarette paper between the two? Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of where I expect them to be. I think Arsenal was slightly higher than where I expected them to be, but I think the rest of the division, there's not much between really sixth and fourteenth. Like there's there's not a great deal there below that. So these two are kind of they're just on the cusp, but not anywhere near close. I know it's only three points behind Chelsea, but I don't think Spurs are anywhere near in the same sort of level as them if, when they can fully turn it on. Yeah. Mark? Yeah, I would have expected Tottenham to finish higher than Arsenal. Arsenal, again, exactly like Ross said, probably I would have maybe chosen them to be seventh, eighth at the start of the season. Um, their problem is just they, they they would win three and look like they were going to finish fourth. Yeah. And then they'd be absolutely terrible for three games and lose three on the bounce. And that's what's ultimately done for them. I think, didn't they lose the first three of the season as well? Yeah. And then ended up losing basically the last three or four games of the season. That was what Arsenal were like. It was, I mean, it's unsurprising given they've got so many young players and they don't have anybody of the class of Kane, Son, and seemingly this Romero who came in in um, January as well. And of course they've got Conte who, yes, you, you, you walk out of work every day with a fucking headache um, playing for him, but he finds a way to get all of his teams playing in a certain way that that makes them winners. So they, yeah, you can see just just from Kane, Son, and Conte alone that gave him the edge over Arsenal. But I am surprised Arsenal even came close to the top, top four. Arteta's got the word project written all over him. You can imagine him being some sort of yeah. uh, middle management person in HR or marketing or something like that. Um, He's been at Arsenal for quite some time now. Um, has he underachieved? Is he is he had long enough to start doing something? And should we have expected more from him this season? You can't expect every manager to have an effect in three to six months. Arsenal also, um, well, they've had money. I was going to say they haven't had money, but of course they bought Pepe for 70-odd million quid, which um, seems ridiculous now, doesn't it? Well, seemed ridiculous then yeah. as well, mind <laughs> But um, um won the league after he left. Yeah. I, so, yes, you're right. It's got project written all over it, which, and yeah, he seems like Billy bullshit sometimes when he comes out with the stuff he does. 
would you be inspired to play for him? Don't know. You don't have to be a great coach to be a great manager. You just have to be a great manager. Um, and Arteta's got more of that coach vibe about him. And yeah. I don't think that's what players relate to these days. It, you know, Guardiola, Conte, Klopp, uh, Ancelotti's got a different manner, but he's great at managing people. They're the successful ones. It's not the Marco Silvers or the Artetas. They're not the ones who are taking those teams to the next level. And maybe maybe that's the issue. I don't think he's done a bad job at all. I just don't think he's the right man who's going to actually make Arsenal a top four regular. Yeah. Ross, can you imagine Mikel Arteta being a photocopy salesman in Northern England, sort of travelling from town to town, sort of trying to sort of sell his wares? Yeah, he, he, he is very much a, a salesman look about him. Like he would yeah. he'd try and sell you a phone contract or something like that. He's, um, yeah. Arsenal just missing a striker. They've got a lot of young forwards. And Ketio, I think, may leave the summer. Martinelli's very good, but he's a winger. Their top scorer was um, Smith Rowe with 10 goals. Or yeah. Saka, uh, Saka with 11, sorry. So, like, they're both midfielders. You need a striker. Which they got rid of in January. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably the right move, though. He was a bit disruptive. <laughs> It was a bit. Uh, right, shall we move on to Manchester United and West Ham? Because this is probably the most fun bit of the lot, talking about Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Manchester United got into the Europa League, uh, despite losing the last day to see Crystal Palace. West Ham's loss at Brighton uh, meant that uh, they're in the Europa League. I was quite rooting for Manchester United in the Europa Conference League. That would have been, I mean, it could still happen, but um, <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, what do we make of Manchester United? So, of course, they started the season with Solskjaer and um, after that 4-1 loss at Watford, Rangnick came in. I get the feeling that Rangnick sort of gave up after about 10 games and spent the rest of the season trying to burn the place down. Um, <laughs> what do we make of Manchester United this season? Uh, crap. You tell me one <laughs> player who played well for Man United this season. Um, one. Just one. Did he? Was he that good? I don't know. It was, did De Gea just do what De Gea does? I mean, he's been, he has been incredibly good in previous seasons. So maybe him just playing well is like a sort of, it stands out yeah. a lot more than maybe Maguire playing badly. But yeah, I definitely yeah. see your point. Yeah. Can you name us? I can't name a single one. I can't, I, can't, I can't name many who played averagely well across the whole season. Ronaldo, possibly. They're just a collection of men, aren't they? There's no, they're, they're <laughs> not a team. A collection of highly paid, expensive just, men. Just innocent men. <laughs> like, like He'd have done better. Innocent men. Well, yeah, apart from one massively guilty one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, but, two massively guilty ones. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, there's Oops. not one that's um, uh, allegedly, um, th- there's not one that's, that you sort of hang your hat on and say that he's had a decent season at all. And, and, it, and why is that? Matic played in 30 Premier League games this season, a man whose legs went about four years ago. If you mm. were to draw a pie chart of reasons for Manchester United's failures, what percentage would the players get? What percentage would both Oli and uh, Rangnick get? And what percentage would the club structure and hierarchy up to the Glazers get? I mean, equal, equal cuts, isn't it? I think. Yeah. I think ultimately it boils down to the club structure. Ed Woodward, I think, uh, uh, again, through my connect, other connections, through another podcast and, and hearing about uh, sort of Alex Ferguson stories and whatnot, they cannot put enough praise on David Gill, who was the previous incumbent in the CEO chair, whatever that was, about he, how he ran that club through the years where, and, and probably his predecessor as well, Peter Kenyon, 
um, into back into the nineties, how they ran that club. And then Woodward who came in, who was the commercial manager, basically, you know, signing deals with Turkish airlines or some coconut oil manufacturer in Niger or, you know, to be the official partner for bubblegum and hair products and all this totally different sort of kettle of, I know we're the wrong people to be talking about that. Hey, Ross. Oh, you too. You too um, <laughs> yeah. And then it all goes, it all goes tits up from there. But I mean, it wasn't unexpected to see some sort of turbulence when Ferguson left because you can stem it right back to there. But, you know, they could have stuck with Moyes, although he, of course, made some, made plenty of mistakes. But then I think United have compounded them and compounded it at every single um, step of the way. And the most recent one is when Solskjaer came in to be the caretaker was giving him the job permanently. That was when that really, um, you know, put the nail in the coffin for me. Because um, they should have been looking at somebody else then. Do you reckon that the Glazers look at, and their, or Edward Wood looks at optics from the outside. So when United beat PSG in Paris and Rio Ferdinand was there on BT Sports slamming that piece of paper down saying, give him the contract and let him sign what he wants. I think Woodward <laughs> sort of looks at that and thinks, well, maybe, you know, that's, it, that would be good PR for us. Let's sign him up or something like that. I don't know what they think. They, they own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are one of the most successful teams in the NFL right now. So I don't think they give two shits what Man United are doing. As long as they've yeah. still got the commercial income, it's it's fine. Like They're making their money. Like They're not losing money on Man United at the minute, so that's all they can hope for, really. Well, let me, read you, let me read two WhatsApp messages I sent to you earlier on this week, Ross. So there was an, an okay. article in The Athletic um, regarding where it sort of went wrong inside Manchester <laughs> United and the way that The Athletic does. Um, two messages I sent to Ross uh, regarding this. First was, um, they're a mess. Rangnick had this bloke in Russia who worked with, he worked with for years, and Rangnick employed this guy uh, to watch games on a live feed in Russia uh, and, re- and then sort of send WhatsApp messages back to Rangnick on the touchline. So with what was going on, so he'd have Mike Phelan uh, and other coaches sat in Old Trafford um, in the dugout and in the stands being sidelined by Rangnick's mate. And a couple of times, Rangnick was seen sort of in the, um, in the sort of corridor outside the change rooms at halftime, checking his WhatsApp messages from this guy, getting tactical information. And the other one, which is probably really funny, is Darren Fletcher. Um, Darren Fletcher had to be told to sit down and be quiet at the dugout because he, um, Rangnick would come out to the touchline and start giving out instructions. And Darren Fletcher would come out to the touchline and start giving his own, like sort of, ignoring what had been talked about tactically pre-game or anything like that. He just come out and start saying, well, do this, do that and do the other. And in the end, people had to say to him, you're not allowed to do that, just sit down. It's just absolute chaos. I mean, it's a fantastic it's article to read. Awesome club. <laughs> no. doesn't, it, doesn't it seem weird that when they got rid of Solskjaer or was it before they got rid of Solskjaer, but everybody knew he was going, that they didn't for a second, it seems, consider Antonio Conte to be yeah. the manager. It's it, absolutely insanity. And then go for a bloke who is, hasn't been a manager for a long time, was only ever going to be there for six months. It, it, it's, it's just... And his, how, entire how ta- he... his, his entire tactical philosophy is narrowness and play through the middle. And you've got wingers galore at Man United. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit. And he tried to fit them into his system. And it just doesn't work. I wonder if they were yeah. scared by Conte. <laughs> Given his personality and given his demanding of cash to spend, regrew his hair for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Even his own boldness is afraid of him. <laughs> All natural, of course. Yeah, I wonder if they were afraid of it. I mean, if they kept Solskjaer, would they be any lower down in the league than what they finished? No, 
so. they probably still finish where they are. Yeah. They? yeah. And what about West Ham then? So they're in the Europa Conference League. They got Europa League last season. So they've fallen away a little bit. But mm. in the same that Leicester sort of found their ceiling a couple of seasons ago, is this what West Ham expect? And, you know, should they be happy with that? Yeah, I think. Yeah. I, I think they'll be a bit upset that they didn't finish fifth or sixth, given where they were at the turn of the year. I think it's just a natural fall in a way. And again, this this just points to the the sort of the, the hardening of how good and how far ahead the top six are. Even if they're having crap seasons, their resources uh, and their know-how will is just getting more and more um, entrenched because they always finish in the top six and they're always, most of them are always getting Champions League money regularly. That when we had Leicester a few years ago, who looked odds on to finish fourth a couple of seasons and it just caught up with them in the last few weeks, the same things happened to West Ham, who, were, who have been better than Man United all season. Um, they've been on a par with Arsenal and possibly Tottenham for most of the season too. I know the European thing has affected them. And again, that comes down to the money you've got to spend on a squad and all of this sort of stuff and know-how of the players that you do have. So how do you break into that top six and that top four? But I think West Ham will be disappointed that they didn't finish at least fifth uh, or at least sixth, maybe, um, considering the position they were in and how well they've played. I think the possibly this last few games, especially when Bowen had a bit of an injury, that's maybe maybe just lost them that extra edge towards the end. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, okay, so uh, West Ham finished in seventh on 56 points. Then behind them was Leicester in eighth on 52. Then Brighton and Wolves both on 51. Um, I get a feeling that of Leicester, Brighton and Wolves, only Brighton will be happy with where they finished in the Premier League this season. What do you reckon, Ross? Yeah, Wolves fans, when we beat them in that chaotic game a month or two ago, they were, they were saying there's a conspiracy theory against Wolves to keep them out of the Champions League places. I mean, they're, they're 20 points off the Champions League places. Why would there be a conspiracy theory, uh, a conspiracy against Wolves? I've Who's no bothered idea. with that? Exactly. Who cares about <laughs> Wolves? I didn't even know who their manager was before we played them. Um, but they, I don't know, they've had a, it's a good season. Tenth is a good position for Wolves to be in. They're in the Championship not, yeah. not that long ago. Leicester, I think, would be slightly unhappy, but much like Chelsea, they're in a kind of a transition period now where the old guard are on the way out and they've got to kind of rebuild around the new players. And eighth is nothing to be sniffed at, really. The problem with shuffling out the old guard um, is also the younger players, Madison and uh, Barnes um, and Dewsbury Hall, they all look good prospects to be, and Tielemans as well, they all look good prospects to be pinched by teams above them. Yeah, um, if Tiedemann's there next season, I'll be surprised. I will be as well. Uh, we've been linked with him, and I know United have been as well. I, I really like him as a player, um, if only because he's really got a football manager. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, what do you reckon now. to <laughs> Mark, What do you reckon to these three teams? Uh, yeah, Leicester probably would have had eighth as a minimum, I think, yeah. as their as their goal for the season. Um, but yeah, again, they were affected by a lot of injuries and the, Euro- the European stuff got in the way, and it just never really got off the ground for them. So, and, and actually, they were in danger of finishing bottom half, weren't they, until the last yeah. week or two? Yeah. Um, Brighton, of course, yeah, I think they, they've overachieved. You wouldn't have expected Brighton to finish the top half. And um, again, it's like this thing where if Brighton only had a really good striker, they'd be a cracking side, wouldn't they? Yeah. 
And um, not that they're not a good team, but they'd be an even better team if they had somebody who's good. XG is huge. Like, yeah. just can't finish chances. Yeah. And um, um, I think the last season under Aspiris, Wolves started off great in the Premier League. Then they've had a couple of seasons where it's been gradually going down. They changed the manager. Again, the turnover of players and everything. I think Wolves should be happy with 10th, um, especially considering I think they finished a lot lower than that season before. I know they were looking a bit a bit better for a higher place finish. And again, the last few games, it just sort of got away from them. Probably after the Leeds game, full enough. Um, from that onwards, it sort of took a downturn. But yeah, 10th um, yeah, for Wolves, I think, should not be... Uh, they can't sniff at that. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's interesting you say that about Brighton's practice because I look at Neil Mope and Leandro Trossard and Alexis McAllister, and they all seem excellent players, technically, who can't score goals. Um, and I don't know how you teach that to somebody. Eddie, Eddie and Ketty is available, I think. If it's sticking yeah. out front for Brighton, he would score so many goals for them because the chances they create. Fair enough. Uh, right, OK, what we'll do, we'll just talk about uh, Newcastle in 11th place at the moment um, because, obviously, they've had quite a tumultuous season. Started off with... Steve Bruce, and they were in a bit of limbo. Uh, then the murdering beheaders came in, um, gave Eddie Howe a load of money in January, and it's all gone well for them since then. What a miracle, Mark. What a miracle. You're from that end of the country. Mm-hmm. Everyone's happy yeah. for them, aren't they? Jake Humphrey uh, took up for them on BT Sport. <laughs> um, I, uh, do you know what? It, it's, it, it's made everybody feel better. All the fans around here have, have certainly feel a, bit, a lot about it. Forget all the, the stuff about who's backing them and everything else, because most of the people around here don't really care. Um, as you probably tell on social media, they're not bothered where their money comes from. Um, but um, they've done really well with, OK, that Guimaraes looks like, like a decent player. But essentially they bought mid-table Premier League players who were better than what they had. Eddie Howe's come in and done better than I expected. Um, the acid test is now who they buy next and what can he do with that team next season but yeah to be where they were and playing as badly as they were under Steve Bruce to be where they finished and and how they finished um yeah you you'd you'd say I wouldn't say modern day miracle but it was pretty impressive wasn't it the recruitment for the summer I'm going to find quite interesting because I don't know if you guys remember back to when Man City first got their money obviously they mm. got Rubinho and Tevez, but at the same time, they didn't have the Champions League football to attract the best. So they're getting in like Craig Bellamy and Roque Santa Cruz. So you've mm-hmm. got to, I don't know whether it's going to be the same with um, Newcastle, whether they're going to sort of have to weather the storm of buying very good players before they can get to the sort of top class players that they eventually attract yeah. or whether they can sort of go straight there. Yeah. And it's also if they, yeah, if they make their, if they get the right um, targets, they're not over ambitious with who they're going to go for. They've got, they've got the Manchester City example to follow, and that was a gradual process over two or three years, wasn't it? Or they've got the Everton example to follow, which is what not to do when you get a load of money and to spend it on anyone. Um, so it will be interesting. Funny enough, I was just talking about this with my friend today. Uh, the same thing, like who they've who they've been linked with, and and who would be good signings for them, and. Yeah, I, I, I don't expect them to be top four, probably not even top six. But um, yeah, they're still going to need five or six players to to really compete in the top half. Are, they, are the owners going to have patience for Eddie Howe building a squad? Or if it doesn't start well, is he going to have a sort of invite to the Saudi embassy in Istanbul? Uh, well, I don't think it matters in terms of the owners having patience with the manager. It's whether the owners have patience with the project 
to bring that word up again. And seemingly, the, the word is around here that their intention is to invest heavily in the area. So if that's the case, then the football team is just the the vehicle upon what that hangs, doesn't it? Um, so if Howe doesn't succeed, they'll just go and, go and get, I don't know, whoever's available from Juventus or Bayern Munich. Or, you know, they've got the money, they've got the ambition. Again, you don't go from Howe to Klopp. You go to somebody in the between before you go for Klopp or Guardiola. And that's Newcastle's plan. And But you know how often plans work out in football. They don't tend to come to fruition all the time. So I'm sure there'll be lots of twists and turns. Maybe they need Hannibal Smith as manager. Who? Hannibal Smith. He lived at Hannibal Smith. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. It's him. <laughs> it's one for the kids. There we go. And nowhere on yeah. the roofs. Absolutely nowhere. Like the, the money they got in January was they they spent it well. They Rui's did, a really actually, good footballer. Chris Wood is a proven Premier League goal scorer. He only got two goals for them. But the biggest thing that Howe's done is reinvent. Joel Linton, who's now some sort of world-class central midfielder. No one saw that coming. <laughs> um, and I guess it was quite a canny move to take Chris Wood away from your relegation rivals as well, wasn't it? Never helps. <laughs> never helps, does it? No, that was quite decent. So, yeah, I guess all in all, you're pretty satisfied if you're a Newcastle fan at the moment, aren't you? I think Dave's over the moon with 11th place. He is. Yeah. 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 And the amount of time... They're cock, I hope. The amount of times he keeps telling them to shut up on Twitter, um, they really have washed that sport right out of their hair, haven't they? Mm-hmm. I've got no problem with sports washing. You know this. I know you Bye. don't. <laughs> you like to throw any um, sports washing grenades into your friends' conversations up there, Mark, or do you sort of stay well out of that? Uh, yes. Oh, yes. I've, I've dangled that fishing rod into various <laughs> WhatsApp. Um, and th- but then, of course, I made the mistake. I went to I went to a PSG game a few weeks ago, and of course, I sent them a picture of me in the in the <laughs> Parc des Princes, and they were like. They were like, you fucking hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, that's Newcastle. What do you think? So you said you reckon they'll be about sort of sixth or so next year, Mark. What about you, Ross? What do you reckon they're going to yeah, finish? They, they should be aiming for that seventh place, that conference league, the first step into kind of more European football and attracting bigger names, I suppose. How many more years do you reckon Eddie Howe will be their manager for? I don't think Howe will be there long term. I reckon they'll give him another season and see how he goes, but the, the the plan can't be to finish in top four with Eddie Howe as your manager. It's like Mark said, he's a stepping stone to the next the next level up, basically. So he's done well not to relocate his wife and kids. Then that seems to be um, in the news quite a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, why would you? Mm. Almost a nice place. Yeah, very really nice. Yeah. I loved it. I was on holiday there. Very <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. So. Um, Below Newcastle, you've got Crystal Palace, then Brentford, Aston Villa and Southampton. <sighs> Brentford, I guess, will be the happiest. I don't know whether they be the happiest of the team to finish there because... Well, let's Palace first, their season. Yeah, let's talk about Palace first because I'm quite excited by Palace. Going forward, they seem to have some very, very good players and uh, Patrick Vieira seems to be quite a proactive manager who can still handle himself on the Goodison <laughs> Park pitch. Um, but yeah, he seems to be quite a proactive manager with some fairly exciting options going forward. So I think Crystal Palace could be a team for next year's um, early FM save, uh, Ross. Yeah, interesting. Has Gat Gallagher's um, gone back to Chelsea though, hasn't he? Has he? I guess he has. And I don't. I think the way he played, I don't think there's much chance of keeping him for next season. No, I think he's done very well, hasn't he? Um, <laughs> no. But yeah, I, uh, it was hard for Vieira, I think, re- replacing what is pretty much entrenched in the Hodgson style of play and for him to come in and, and made such a difference, Mark. I think he's done, I think he's had an excellent season and I know Klopp got manager of the year, but I think Gera's possibly in with a, a shout as well. 
Yeah, well, not just the Hodgson um, style of play, because if you look back at the last, what, four or five Crystal Palace managers, they've had, did they have Allardyce? They had Pulis, yeah. they had Hodgson, um, Pardew, you know, they've had some very stoic managers yeah. at Crystal Palace in the last five or six years. Um, so Vieira's had to change that. But to be fair to Palace, they've got a lot of young players. Of course, they had Zaha, who was a bit hit and miss. Uh, they've got that Alise guy, uh, um, Tyrick Mitchell looks like a good fullback, and and the one I really like is Eze. Uh, I think yes, he's a cracky player, and they're going to have quite um, a lot, isn't he? Yeah, they're going to have a hard time keeping hold of him. He might not go this, but if he has a decent season coming up, and he has just come back from a long term injury, if he has a good season. It wouldn't surprise me if one of the the big four coming for him because I think he's a great player. Yeah, actually it's weird because they've got Edward up front, but what I said at the start about them being excellent up front, they've also got Jordan Ayew and Christian Benteke as well. So yeah. it is... Um, doesn't score goals either. They've got loads of strikers that don't score goals. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, maybe I was sort of a bit out there, but um, um, they are quite a strange team, aren't they, Palace, with, in respect to that. Mm. Um, and their midfield as well, they, I think they need a bit of change in their midfield because they've still got um, Milivojevic who's getting on and they've got McCarthy, MacArthur, both MacArthur. of them, one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. MacArthur, um, yeah. I think Stephen Kelly's leaving, because I saw a, a, a Twitter message from him. Um, so I think they need a bit of investment further back. Um, and I think yeah. maybe they could push on next season. Edward maybe needed a season just to get in, because he's done right at Celtic, so he's obviously a pretty good player. Maybe he just needed a, a season just to bet in. Um, what about Brentford then? 13th. I guess they're over the moon with that, aren't they? It looked a bit iffy for six weeks or so, didn't it? When they didn't mm. win a game for, or they lost like mm. seven or eight in a row, didn't they? Um, yeah. But then they got Christian Eriksen in and they haven't looked back, have they? Yeah. And it also coincided that bad run, I think, when the goalie was out. I oh, was when that, okay. when when I think so, when yeah, Raya came Ray, back really in. Really good. Um, yeah. And as I say, combining that with Eriksen, <laughs> who was, who has been absolutely outstanding for them. I mean, you know, you mentioned about manager of the season. You know, you'd, you'd speak about Potter as well. You'd speak about Vieira, but Thomas Frank surely has to be up there as well, right? Yeah. I guess Bodies under right the patio, that man. Bodies under the patio. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that look, is he? <laughs> um, yeah, and of course, uh, Ivan Tony as well. So I, I think it's vital that they keep hold of both Ericsson and Tony. Um, Tony wants to leave. Tony's already said he doesn't like playing for Brentford in like a leaked interview. <laughs> He's said that multiple months, is not he? Yeah. Um, mm. So how many of those two will be there next season? Then? Neither, I can't neither. imagine Ericsson being there and no. <laughs> Tony doesn't sound like it either, does he? <laughs> Tony's got some sort of Peter Odden wingy drive to another training ground on the last day of the season. Over, isn't he? Well, Lukaku's his, his idol, obviously, if he's spouting <laughs> off already. <laughs> I can imagine him pulling it into like the West Ham training ground or something <laughs> on the last day of deadline day. Yeah, um, yeah Ericsson, he, um, he's too good for them, I guess, isn't he? He's got his pick of clubs, isn't he, surely? He's a free yeah. agent. Yeah. Are they going to have a difficult second season if they lose Hopefully. both of those? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon, Yeah, Mark? Yeah, you'd think so. A little bit like you've seen the, the teams like Sheffield United, whereby they come up, they play a certain way, nobody knows what to do with them. And then the second season, people have gotten figured out. They may have lost, you know, one or two of their key players, or they get key injuries. They can't really back that up in the squad with with players to replace them. For example, if they kept Tony, they kept Umbermo, who's quite influential for them, um, and uh, the goalie. Um, yeah. If they lost a couple of them, 
through injury or that they moved on, yeah, you'd, you'd think, ah, oh, well, the the most of the Premier League will have figured them out in the second season because they look fairly one dimensional. You know, there's no, there's no, there's nothing that changes from week to week with them. So yeah, I, you you think that just on budget alone to maintain where they are, and who's coming up? It's Fulham, Bournemouth, and either Forest or Huddersfield. <laughs> Yeah, although Brentford have, Brentford have done exceptionally well, haven't they, with recruitment and and sort of the whole money ball thing over the because yeah. quite a few players have played for them and moved on for good money and stuff. If they can continue that and bed in for a second season, then they might end up doing a Bournemouth and st- yeah. sticking around for long term and and just you know making money, making money. But there's always going to be a ceiling with Brentford. It's next season is going to be more difficult than this season probably for them. And what about Villa and? Southampton, um, how do we feel they've got on this season? They underachieved got 40 points early because they they won one of the last 13 games. Southampton, mm. again, sorry, Ross. Southampton got to 40 points and then stopped playing football. They won one of the last 13. Um, yeah, which I guess is quite a concern, uh, for the manager. Um, a couple of years ago, when they lost their second 9 0, someone yeah. I remember tweeting saying, if Losing 9-0 once a season means we get to keep Ralph Hassentut, or I'm happy with that. And I've, but I have seen a couple of grumblings from Southampton fans on Twitter this season about him. Um, when we played them, it was um, Hassentut against Marsh, so it was Red Bull versus Red Bull, and the two styles just absolutely clashed against each other, and it was the most hideous game of football I've seen all season. <laughs> it was like 22 men in the middle of the park. It was like school football. Um, and is, yeah, so is it Sort of, is he got as far as he can with them? Can he do no more? So maybe he should clear off. <laughs> no, he's... Mm. They're, they're weird because what what else can they do? They can't go out and splash loads of money because they don't really have loads of money. Mm. The fact they can hold on to players like Ward Prowse or bring in players like Livermento, who's a really good young fullback. Like their recruitment is quite good, but so, it, it depends where they want to be. Like. Do they want to try and do a West Ham and challenge for those European places that they're going to have to spend some money somewhere? Are they forever destined to finish between like 16th and 10th? Is that what their lot is in life? Yeah, I think so. Maybe the odd flirt with relegation, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and what about... Sorry, Bob. No, you're right. No, sorry. I was just going to say, what about Villa then, Mark? Because they started off with um, Dean Smith and then they got rid of him and went to Stevie G. Mm. Um, he had a bit of a turnaround for a bit when he brought in Coutinho Coutinho seemed to have a positive effect and again they seem to sort of fall off the edge for quite some time till the last sort of mm-hmm. week or two what do you make of Villa's season? Um, I think overall they'll think it was again it was um, a bit less a bit worse than they would have expected I, I'm surprised they got rid of Dean Smith actually because I thought their first season they did alright um, mm. yes they had a bit of a tricky start um, then got shot him. They had that initial, as you said, they had that initial spurt uh, with Gerard to get them out of the bottom three. But then it all seemed to just dawdle along for a long time. Yes, Coutinho yeah. came in and did well, but again, then it just dawdled along to the end of the season again. Yeah. Uh, they've they've put a lot of money in over a reasonable period. They're going to spend big again, aren't they? I think in the summer on three or four players, they have to finish in the top uh, top half next season. I don't think anything else is would be considered good enough, um, considering the outlay, the size of the club, and 
profile of the manager and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think I think they've finished well below where they would have hoped to have finished, even considering for the start of the season. Well, they've raised a few eyebrows this week. They've got Bubakar Camera for uh, for free from Marseille, um, which was seen as quite a steal, and Diego Carlos from Sevilla as well. So um, it looks like they've they're sort of following Mark's advice, um, and they've got Coutinho as well for next season. But what do you make of Villa this season? The fact they changed their manager halfway through, did they twist too early? Or in the end, did it work out okay? They're 14th. Like, they're maybe two or three positions off where they kind of should have finished, maybe. I think Newcastle in 11th would kind of be where I would have pegged Villa to have finished. But yeah. it's, it's it's four points. This group of teams, the last six or seven teams you've mentioned, are all kind of much of a muchness. Like there's, it could have been any of them finished in eleventh or tenth. There's not a great deal between any of them. But yeah, Villa has spent a lot of money on that squad. Yeah. Um, I know Coutinho is free technically, but he's they've had to pay a lot of money on sign-on fees and wages. And Leon Bailey flouted to deceive, and yeah, he did, didn't he? I thought he was going to do really well this season. Yeah, they spent a lot of money. Brendia again, forty million pounds didn't really do. A, live up to that it's they're going to have a lot of players to shift out I think if they keep signing players like this and have a big old squad full of unhappy players don't, don't do much Tyrone Mings still in that central defence uh, I like Tyrone Mings now because of his block um, against who was it Burnley yeah Oh yeah. His, his block with the bottom of his foot which kept Leeds up and <laughs> sent Burnley down ultimately uh, okay right so we're now in 16th and 17th place so let's, this is your two teams so Everton finished 16th on 39 points uh, Leeds finished 17th on 38 points. Everton, you got there a couple of weeks earlier. Mark, do you feel like do you feel like you scraped it in the end, or do you did you did you feel sort of maybe this is where you were due to end up? And given what Frank was given when he arrived, or how do you feel about the season's gone? Or do you want to start to start with uh, Agent Rafa? Uh, well, we can go back. To, I mean, if you if you script uh, a season a calamitous season where a big club gets relegated, then you could not script it better than Everton season. And you go right the way back to the day Carlo Ancelotti left. Then you had things like, well, of course you had the most ridiculous decision ever to appoint Benitez, not only for his Liverpool connection, but the fact that he's shite. He's a shite manager. Um, he didn't it's win Liverpool. He didn't, no, he, didn't win, he didn't win Liverpool the Champions League. Let's no, no, not no, have no. that. I'm, I'm um, going to say your, your His Liverpool team was terrible. His no, Newcastle your... team was terrible. His Inter team was terrible. His Napoli team weren't up to much good. Um, you know what I mean? He's a shit manager. Should never have been appointed in the first place. He's a poison. He's poison. That's what he is. He's poison. Also, you get then like this: the 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 player who we cannot name for legal reasons being uh, arrested and suspended for um, speaking to underage girls on Instagram. You've got, um, and then you've got a catalogue of other things throughout the whole season, right? First day of the season, I said to me, pal, who all supports Everton, says we're going to finish 15th if we're lucky this season. And I wasn't far wrong. But my God, after that first month, we were as bad, the worst Everton team in my lifetime, no question. And, until, do you know what? Even, even when we looked like we were going to stay up, I thought we were going to. Until that happened, until then, I thought we were still going down. Even on the last day of the season, when we were technically safe, I still thought we were going to go down. <laughs> it was, it was that bad. Honestly, it was that bad. And you could again, you you could write, you could make a whole 
podcast series about the this season and beyond with Everton. But these, um, it was a miracle almost. Don't, don't these signings predate uh, Rafa in the fact that the, the club is sort of structurally rotten from within and um, Mashir has wasted all this money and you've bought some yeah, but, players over the year. Poor Rafa and he inherited what he inherited. I can't believe you say mean to Yeah, but but you can you could buy a 10-year-old Ford Focus that isn't the best car in the world, but it runs. Then then you give um, Benny Hill or Norman Wisdom a, a screwdriver and a wrench and you say to them, right, go and fix the carburetor for me. That, that car's not going to work properly anymore, is it? Yeah, but there you go. That, there's and, an analogy for you. Benny Hill and Norman Wisdom aren't going to sign Damari Gray for a million pounds. That's a great piece of business. Uh, well, yes, that that was great. Um, but then what do you do with the rest of the players in that that squad? I feel like you've been waiting to say this for quite some time. I feel like this is... I, say I feel like I feel like I'm Lucy in Peanuts and you're sort of Charlie Brown sat at the doctor's <laughs> thing in the park. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, you said, no, I was only going to pick you. Up, I was only going to pick you up about the um, the Newcastle things because I th- I always thought that he'd done a good mm. job at Newcastle. And fellow Newcastle, what well, your fellow Newcastle neighbours uh, would, uh, would say that, wouldn't they? He relegated. Well, you've got you've you've got ninety percent Newcastle who blindly because he's because he appeared to 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 stand up to Mike Ashley. You were, and you've got ten percent of Newcastle fans, of which I've got a lot who actually watched the football and will tell you that his football was as bad as it was under Steve Bruce, which it was. But he managed to keep them up. But then so did Steve Bruce. Ross, do you want to poke the bear again? Punish Steve Bruce. No. <laughs> Ross, poke, poke the bear. Go on, but say something. <laughs> no, I think he's put on. Ross is living off his Valencia yeah. days, to be honest. Yeah. And Liverpool days. Well, yeah. Oh, he's living off Steven Gerrard's Liverpool days, not his. <laughs> Such a meaning. Um, okay, so he went, in came Super mm. Frankie Lampard. When he was mm-hmm. appointed, uh, were you happy or were you one of the people that were sort of threatening to burn your Everton shirt if they appointed that foreign fella? Or how did you feel when no. Frankie came in? Uh, no, but that that ran alarm, that rang huge alarm bells when I turned on Sky Sports News to see the fella essentially giving himself a job interview on Sky Sports News. That That really was a bit of a... Again, there's another one of these odd things that should have you know, been in a season DVD of when you go down. But um, I wasn't I wasn't pro or anti-Lampard, but I just thought, let's just have somebody in that isn't Benitez. And I think it took Lampard a while to get to grips with the situation, the shit players that were there, the, certainly the morale that... that and, and basically, Benitez had started stripping the club from within. He got rid of players, he got rid of staff who would have been there, right? And he basically was really going through the place but not in a good way. Uh, and I think it took time for Lampard and his staff to get to get a grips with it all. And then eventually, certainly when the fans turned up and got behind the team as well, um, that really spurred them on to that last, last sort of, what was it, seven, eight games where we won four or five uh, and, and, and got over the line. I think, yeah, the season came down to that. If you look at, if you look across the whole season, we should have gone down because we were that, but we were that bad. Uh, and I think just because we stayed up this year, we're by no means out of the woods for what's to come next season. I think Lampard's New- going to have it hard. Was it the Newcastle game where you were down to 10 men and still won? Was that the sort of turning point? Mm-hmm. Was it? I think it was, yeah. Because um, we actually played pretty well in that game. Well, it was pretty well in the second half of that game. Went out, like, 
um, injudiciously went down to 10 men when Alan got sent off, managed to pinch the last minute winner. Was that one of the games where you wrote a letter? The, wrote a letter? Yeah, to the FA or the PGMO. Well, uh, it might have been, yeah, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of right, to be honest. <laughs> we've got we've got a lot of letters we've got a lot of letters going into there but <laughs> yeah just, smart it, it built from there and even though we start we, we still continue to lose or or not win not win games <laughs> after that Newcastle game you can see the performances and the confidence in in all of the players but particularly people like Alex Iwobi who who was dreadful for the most part suddenly started to turn and then it just took that Newcastle game and then it just gradually sort of and even in games we were losing you could see just starting to get a bit better, um, but yeah, I still think next season we're in for a, we're in for another tough time. Well, when while Mark lies down and you fan him with a, a palm tree leaf, Mark uh, Ross, do you want to just talk to us about? Um, <laughs> do you want to talk to us about Leeds and the Leeds mm. season? Because I think when as soon as Everton was safe, I wanted Burnley to go down. Quite happy Leeds stayed up. I quite everyone liked Jesse did, didn't they? Well, wasn't everyone sick of Burnley? Mm-hmm. I quite like Burnley shtick. I quite like the. I quite like what they do in their uniqueness to the Premier League. Uh, but if Everton weren't going down, I'd rather Leeds stayed up than, <laughs> than Burnley. Yeah, I quite like Jesse Marsh. So, um, no, <laughs> uh, so the start of the season, it, it seemed to be, from my point of view, it seemed to be like Leeds got off to a bad start and never really recovered. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, very fair. We lost, I think, 5-0 over the season to Scum, which 5-1 we scored. Luke Haynes scored a Thunderbolt, I remember that. We drew with Everton, 2-2. Then we drew with Burnley, then we lost to Liverpool, and we drew with Newcastle. It took a long time to win our first game, which um, was Watford. And we only won nine games this season, which, <coughs> compared to last season, is nowhere near as good, obviously. We had our batterings, as we, we would would do under Bielsa, but... It... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm still a, I'm a Bielsa widow enough, or forever will be a, a widow of Bielsa because even losing 6 0 to Liverpool and 7 0 to City and 5 or 4 to Man United, I, I, didn't, I didn't want him to go. I never wanted him to go at all. Like He could have taken us down and I would have been fine, to be honest with it. I'd made my peace with relegation around the time that City put seven past us. And I thought, okay, we're going to probably go down this season. But. <laughs> at least we're still trying to do something. The last 12 games under Marsh, fair enough, he's got, I think it averages out to 1.25 points per game, which over the course of a season gives you about 48, 49 points, which perfectly fine, barely, uh, mid-table form that is. And if that's what he does next season, then brilliant. But it's not good. The last two games where we had to get something out of it, we got a point at Brighton and we beat Brentford. He went back to playing the 4-1-4-1, which Bielsa played with width. And we've got a squad that's set up to play with width and with wingers. When Rafinha and Harrison are your best players, you play them in the best positions. The game was against, I think it was against Chelsea, where he started Rafinha at right wing back. <laughs> no, what are you doing, man? You don't play your best attacking player as right wing back. Was he just being pragmatic with the tools he had to get the results he wanted, or was, you know, was that the only option to play that way, or was that a choice we, he played that we way? We had defenders. He went, he went to five at the back, and then he stuck um, Rafinha back there. But we, we we had other defenders that could have played there. Robin Cock played right back for the last two games of the season, and did perfectly well. Um, 
yeah, there's something about him that just rubs me up the wrong way. Maybe it's the amount of interviews that he's done since he's been there. It seems every single day he's on some podcast somewhere. If we ask him, he'd probably come on and do our podcast, to be honest, because he talks so much about his life as a football coach and all this other stuff. Um, I don't know. It's, it's not It's not been a pretty season. The squad, Bielsa were miracles to get what he got out of players like Liam Cooper, Stuart Dallas, Matthias Click, uh, Patrick Bamford even. They're, they're championship-level players, a lot of them. Um, Bielsa was working miracles to get those guys to that the level they got to last year. And it's easy to say burnout or second season syndrome, but we just weren't there good enough. We lost Cooper missed basically the entire season. He played 20 games. Phillips only played 20 games and Bamford's played seven games this season. Like that's the spine of your team. Was so the point you... in... Sorry, go on. go on. No, go on. No, I was just going to say, was there a point in the season after that start where you thought we're in deep trouble? Um, it would have been around the turn of the year because yeah. we'd started to pick up points. But then I think the Christmas week, basically, from well, we, we played Chelsea on the 11th. We lost 3-2 thanks to a dodgy penalty from really good falling over his own feet. But then we got battered by City. We lost to Arsenal. We beat Burnley, then we beat West Ham. But then we lost to Newcastle and Everton back-to-back. Uh, -back. And I thought then, like, OK, we were in trouble because at the time Newcastle were in the bottom three and Everton was around there as well. And then we just went on a run of getting battered that week that Bielsa got fired. We lost 4-2 to Man United, 6-0 to Liverpool and 4-0 to Spurs. And the the one thing I pick out of all of that is that Klopp, he completely realised and he was got he got caught after the game with his coaches saying that their, their pre-planned attack for Matip, remember that goal he scored? We just walked through the entire pitch. That was the plan. The plan was to break the man-to-man -man marking by having Matip stroll up the field and lose his marker who was supposed to be down James like the man-to-man working works within reason but not to the way at the level we were playing it and that's what got Bielsa fired at the end of the day the fact that he was so unwilling to change from his system so next season presumably you're going to lose Rafinha and uh, Calvin Phillips for I quite a lot of money Phillips might stay he said oh, okay. he wants to sign a new deal and right. unless we get an extortion off, because City are after him. So if he wants to go there, fine. You can go to Man City. Just don't go to Man United. Go wherever you want. Don't go to Villa or West Ham because they're sideways moves, in my opinion. Don't go to Scum because we'll never forgive you. But go to City, fine. Like, if, play if, he goes to, goes if, he goes to, if he goes to City, he'll be the next Jack Rodwell, I think. He'll just sort of be <laughs> stuck <laughs> in those, sort of sat on that bench, I think, yep. is all he'll be. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they're looking yes. for a Fernandinho replacement. He is kind of the perfect replacement for him. Oh, okay. to do that role but yeah he'll go Rafa, Rafa will go and Rafa will go with all the Leeds fans best wishes he's been our best player for two years and if Barcelona want to take him for 60-70 million that's fine but they, they offered 30 million yesterday like, what, yeah. what are they fucking playing at? I saw, I saw Dave reply in the WhatsApp group saying is that just for his right leg yeah. so um, in, in some ways is it a blessing if they both go because you can get a whole load of money to rebuild the team into the way Marsh wants to play yeah I think Phillips needs to stay I think we can replace him. Um, mm. But yeah, every Leeds fan has already written Rafinha off, he's gone. And if he wants mm. to take Rodrigo with him, that'd be fine. Um, <laughs> we've signed uh, Brendan Aronson today from, uh, I want to say Leipzig, but it might have been the other Salzburg. Salzburg thing, it? Yeah, for 30 million euros, who's a Jesse Marsh player. And we've been linked with um, Tyler Adams, who's the oh yeah 
American, another American defensive midfielder. So maybe there are plans in place to replace Phillips with him. Mm. It's all leading to a, a big 49ers takeover and us becoming franchise leads, basically. But bring it on. <laughs> it's been worse. <laughs> Ken Bates ran us. Uh, right, we'll get to the mm. bottom three then. So that's Burnley, um, excuse me, Watford and uh, Norwich. I would say um, Watford and Norwich never really looked like getting out of the bottom three at any point this season. Um, there was nothing inspiring about any of them. Dean Smith, I, I wonder what on earth he's done um, to take that job a week later. Now he's got to commute from Birmingham to Norwich every day and get his ass kicked in the Premier League. I mean, it, can't, it was a bit of a strange job choice that was, wasn't it? Um, and Burnley, was it Dyche, second Dyche? Was that the right thing to do? And Or were they going to go down anyway and maybe they had to look to the future? He seemed to enjoy um, himself at Rock City afterwards. Yeah, great we're, <laughs> we're probably never going to know regarding Dice because um, their best spell of the season came after he left. Yeah. You know, there were more games, didn't they, after he left than they did before he was there. Um, but, there, you know, there was, there's was there been talk since he left that there was the, the he'd lost the dressing room. Um, you know, we, you never know whether any of that stuff's true. And it's a miracle. Is it a miracle that they've stayed up as long as they have? Possibly. But... They're the, the players that have kept them up for a significant period of time or the style that's kept them up. They lost Wood, uh, which is always a problem when you lose Wood. Um, they, um, <laughs> <laughs> McNeil, McNeil never came to the party at all this season. Um, I think they had some issues with, with Tarkovsky and me, I think were injured at various parts of the season. And then just the rest of them probably paid 10% worse than they normally do. And that's enough. That's just that's enough for a team like Burnley to fall into the trap, which is what they did. Um, and of course, they haven't got the money to go out. They got a wheel and deal. They sold Wood, bought Veghorst, but they can't. They could, they've never got the opportunity to bring in three or four players. You know that one thing that you know my, my mate again, another Everton fan, texted me if you when we got beat off Burnley with about six games to go. He said we're going to get relegated by Aaron Lennon's Burnley. And that tells you all you need to know, doesn't it? That Aaron Lennon has been a recent signing for a Premier League team. Yeah. Nothing against Aaron, but, you know. So, yeah. yeah. I think mm. of all the players out there, the only one I'd really take an interest in if I was a Premier League manager would be Maxwell Corney. Um, yeah. The others, I don't think there's anyone there that would sort of hack it in the Premier League at another club, I don't yeah, think. Nick, or Nick, Nick Pope, Pope, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Nick Pope, Pope Tarkovsky. Yeah, that's it. That's it. My really? favorite thing about Tark- my favorite about Tarkovsky is someone says that his surname is like that of a maverick cop that doesn't play by the rules. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's the only thing I can remember about him now. But uh, yeah, Watford, Watford looked like a bunch of fellas put together on a football pitch. They don't. They didn't really sort of have a team cohesion around them. And I don't know whether that's like a sort of a lack of Troy Deeney or um, or. When did Hodgson come in? When did he take over? Oh, was it late? Winter? It was. Uh, I think it was cri- after Christmas, was it? Yeah. Because I've just checked their results from January. They've picked up six points since the first yeah. of January. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't away. forget that they came. They came to Everton and won five two yeah. in yes, about October did. or something. Was that just two, were, Yeah, they were two one down with about twenty minutes to go, and won five two. Yeah, they, they beat Man United 4 1, didn't 
Man United four one, but it didn't that, that that sort of time that November sort of time October November time, uh, they look like they might surprise a little bit. They had a few, took a few good results like that, but yeah, then it suddenly went down downhill fast after that. They got shot of Van, uh, Ranieri, and I can't believe Hodgson took what that Ranieri job. And I think I, I thought I think after about ten minutes, Hodgson even thought, "Why the fuck have I taken yeah, this job?" He didn't even um, want to walk like to the fans. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, that was the moment they employed him. You thought, okay, well, that's them. That's them done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I totally forgot. They'll be back. They'll be back next season. Yeah, I guess they were. Um, and Norwich as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Norwich beat Burnley and them? brought them down with them. Yeah, what's the point of Norwich? What's the You're point right, of Norwich? <laughs> like, I said to my dad the other day, like, if you're a Norwich fan, Every other season is fantastic. You win the championship, it's great. But then what do you do? Just forget about football for a year because there's no point being a Premier League Norwich fan. Well, last time you've always got something to play for, which is more (laughs) more than 50% of the Premier League teams have ever got to do, isn't it? You know, last time they were up, there was lots of talk about um, uh, Max Aaron's Todd Cantwell and Timmy Puki being too good for Norwich. I don't remember any talk about this season. Campbell's all, vanished. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Max Aaron's, who I know Everton were looking at the last time they were in the Premier League and they got Ben Godfrey instead. Max Aaron's, I've been keeping an eye on him specifically because of that. And he's been terrible. Yeah. And Pookie is, Pookie is as Pookie does. You know, yeah. he's never going to leave Norwich, is he? He's going to be there forever doing what he does. Yeah. Well, that's good 11 goals. I mean, that's the limit I think you can get from a striker like Tim Pookie, really. Yeah, and what do you reckon? The, what do you reckon the prospects of coming back next next season for all three clubs? I think there's been well, a lot Norwich of talk about the league at a canter. <laughs> <laughs> there's been a lot of talk about the way Burnley are structured now as a club with their mm. new owners, sort of borrowing against the they're club, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. They're um, they're, they're properly screwed. Um, but yeah, Watford and Norwich. Do you see them coming back up? Not for the not for the Warwick and <laughs> <laughs> Norwich. <laughs> And yeah. Fulham are stuck in an unending leap uh, loop. Oh, sorry, I'm having a I'm stroke, I think. The two of them are just going to never play each other again, are they? They're just going to keep well, just swapping places with each other every season. Well, I saw, a, I saw a stat that I think it's five seasons on the trot now that they've done that. I think it was in The Guardian in, the, in their knowledge um, thing that they do all the time, you know, about all these Jesus. strange trivia, bits of trivia. And I'm sure that they've avoided each other, each other five or six seasons on the trot by going up and down, up and down. It's like the longest time, that longest run that that's ever happened between two clubs. It's going to carry on forever. This is why I want Forrest to go up. Just as someone, I know Huddersfield have only been in the Premier League once, but nah, it's a little, mm. bit, little bit different. But I was talking to um, someone that works, sort of does a little bit of work with Huddersfield. Um, and he was trying to tell me that the pressure is on Forrest because they've got the whole weight of uh, the country behind them. Um, and there's this whole sort of narrative of, are then coming up, that it, it's kind of like a free hit to Huddersfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Paul Brown's to be honest. He's, all of his signings bar one were free transfers this season, and mm. <clears throat> they're, only, they're only six points behind Bournemouth in second. So they have done well, but Forrester just feel like a Premier League team, don't they? Like, mm. Premier League, in my mind, has Oldham and Swindon and Forrest. And like, when I was 13, yeah. that's the Premier League. That's the <laughs> it should, should still be now. Well, I yeah. asked this to Jared a couple of weeks ago. Jared is our, um, he's one of our newer podders, Mark, and he's um, he's only he's 19. 
Yes, Charlie, mm-hmm. little child is 19. So I asked him, uh, because obviously we think Forrest are a Premier League team and, you know, we still think they're a pretty big club. What are the Forrest to him? And he went, well, there's some sort of championship club. I think some sort mm-hmm. of mid-table championship club. And, you know, for old duffers like us, they're a big team. For anybody, I well, guess, under the age of 35, they're not. Yeah, well, if he's 19, Forrest has never been in the Premier League yeah. in his lifetime. That's yeah, ridiculous. exactly. Ridiculous, as did, yeah. As we did say to him, he's only ever known a, a world with James Milner as a Premier League footballer. <laughs> is the Premier League ready for the booty of Steve Cooper though I don't know if we can handle it can we face only a mother could love um, right okay so that's our Premier League roundup don't, have you got anything you else you want to say about this Premier League I guess neither of you particularly enjoyed it yeah, it's a bit fun what second season syndrome no such thing <laughs> uh, Mark uh, yeah let's I hope we we are stuck in a never ending summer because that season was shite and I'm not looking forward to next season either. So let let the cricket season begin. <laughs> Last Brilliant, season, right. Leeds and Everton finished ninth and 10th. This season, we finished 16th and 17th. So. Oh, dear. That's um, the second next year, Mark. Well, we're man, <laughs> we're man of the Post, part of the Man of the Post network. So are we going to be doing a Champions League review? I'm sure we will. Yeah. yeah, I may or may not be on. <laughs> depending on how it goes depending on the results <laughs> uh, so you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Man of the Post you can find us on your uh, podcast choice of um, podcast feed of choice although that will no longer include Acast I guess um, so that's um, Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher anywhere else if you like to hear you can rate reviewers um, and give us a, a, a like and a follow and all your future episodes will fall automatically to your inbox um, you can find us as I say on Twitter and Instagram at Man of the Post Facebook you give us a like as well uh, Ross, if they want to follow you, how do they do that? I'm at Ross Bell underscore underscore. Follow me for some incredibly bad dad jokes. <laughs> incredible. I think you've been living consistently there all along. <laughs> um, Mark, how do they follow you? Um, I am at that Mark Godfrey, but um, I wouldn't bother. What about any of the sideline projects you've got? Oh, well, the only one I'm doing at the minute is the Brian McClare podcast, which is called Life with Brian. Um, again, you can find it on any podcast provider that you wish. And the Twitter is at Brian McClare pod. That's Brian McClare of Manchester United, Celtic, Scotland. We talk about football, music, life in general with um, various special guests um, from time to time. And we've done quite a lot of good, good people and loads more good ones to come. I was going to say, I really enjoy these podcasts because you don't have to be a Manchester yeah. United fan to enjoy it. Obviously, you get no, Manchester oh, United absolutely fans not. On, But I think my favourite mm-hmm. one was the Rowetta one. Terry Christian didn't like my <laughs> question. Um, but you've had David Gage on as well, haven't you? Um, yeah. You've had Nigel Five Tilsley. Yeah. Yeah. Manny from the Stone Roses. Um, yeah. ooh, all sorts of people. Pat Nevin. Um, who else have we had on lately? Uh you know, I forget. It's been so hard. Henry Winter on. We've had Viv Anderson. We've had Justin Morehouse, and we've got some really good ones coming up soon. Then we'll have a summer break, and then we're hoping for a mega star next season. Listeners, we've got Mark on video, and when he said we've got some good guests coming up, his eyebrows and forehead raised. So you know, he definitely <laughs> has got some good guests coming up. So brilliant! Right, thank you ever so much for that, fellas. Um, thank you very much, and always remember to keep your man on the post. Yeah.